This is a Sport Australia podcast production. Hello and welcome to the Sport Governance podcast series. My name is Kate Corkery and I am the Director of Sport Governance and Strategy at Sport Australia. Over this series, we will take a deep dive into the sport governance principles and how they come to life in practice. Each podcast will focus on an individual principle with a special guest joining me to share their experiences and practical advice with respect to that principle. In today's episode, we are focusing on principle six, the playbook, board processes which ensure accountability and transparency. Principle six highlights through effective processes and continual review of its performance, the board is able to demonstrate accountability and transparency to its members and stakeholders. To discuss the playbook, we are joined by Carolyn Campbell, Chair of Sport New South Wales and former Netball New South Wales CEO. Carolyn commenced her career as a PE teacher and went on to work as CEO of the WA Women's Hockey Association. Following the successful delivery of the 2002 Women's Hockey World Cup in Perth, Carolyn left her West Coast home to join Netball New South Wales, initially as the Games Development Manager and ultimately as Chief Executive Officer, a role that she held for the last 15 years. In that time, Carolyn has led the sport through an evolution across all tiers from grassroots to the highly competitive elite environment, operating two teams, the Swifts and the Giants in the, set, in the Super Netball League. Carolyn is the chair of Sport New South Wales, which is an independent member-based peak body representing New South Wales sport and the active recreation sector, and a director of Bankstown District Sports Club and Hockey One. Carolyn, thank you for joining me to share your experiences on the playbook. Thank you, Kate. It's lovely to be here. The playbook really focuses on board accountability and transparency. Um, in your experience, what is the difference between a board being an accountable and a board being transparent? Absolutely. The accountability is about the understanding of the role and the commitments and what's required with the role. Uh, it's also ensuring that all your board procedures and um, methods are actually followed. Um, it's really about the what um, and what you're actually considering and how, in, in, in how you're actually doing that. And when a board's being accountable, are they accountable for both behaviour and policies and systems? Accountability is around the understanding of the role and the commitment that's required to undertake that role to, to, the, to the necessary levels that it needs to be. Um, it is also ensuring the behaviour and that the board procedures um, are, are functional and it works well in terms of setting up the decision making and the discussions that may incur inside that boardroom. And what does transparency mean for a board? Transparency is really about the visibility to the members that you're responsible to or the group that you're working with. Um, it's about the reporting. It's, um, it's creating the communication um, and making sure the accessibility to uh, any necessary information is provided from the board as part of that process so that it's very clear as to how the decisions have been made and, um, and what will be undertaken from that. So when we talk about directors in, in sport in Australia, most of our Australian sport directors are volunteers. Um, but the role of director, whether held at national sporting organisation level or state sporting organisational level, carries significant legal duties and responsibilities. What should directors do to understand and ultimately discharge their duties, powers and responsibilities at law? It's absolutely essential that all directors um, ask any questions that they need to, seek further information if required or clarity of information 
There's no, every director is responsible around the board table. There's no one leading that. They are all in it together and they need to make sure that they've got any information or um, clarity that they require in regards to that. Um, I think when you talk about director's responsibility and legal duties, um, people often don't necessarily have that full understanding when they join a board. So it's very important that that's part of the induction process to them as well, that they, they clearly understand what they have um, been put themselves into and how that might work for them to, to make sure that they can fulfil that role to the, need, to the level that they need to. And we often hear comments, um, you know, I'm, I'm on a board, but I'm not an accountant. Uh, we have an accountant on the board and, and they've got responsibility for the finances of the board and, and the reporting, financial reporting of the board. Is that correct? No, every single director has the same responsibility and um, I guess there's a number of key elements to that, whether it's financial, whether it's understanding legal advice that has been provided from the external um, provider of that to the board. Every director has that responsibility. So there is a need to have a generalist set of skills that allows you to actually be fluent in understanding that that information and how that's presented, and and as I keep saying, you need to ask or seek further ask questions and seek further information. If you're not clear on that, you should never go with the flow on the fact that you're just a director sitting around a table because um, you are as just as responsible for those that are making the decisions, whether you have understood it or not. Yeah, that's really good advice. So director is obviously a position on the board, but there are other key roles on the board. So chair, company secretary, how important is it to have clear position descriptions for these key roles? I think it's imperative because, um, again, because of the way that boards often are formed, you may find yourself in one of those roles and you need to have good clarity around what those expectations are. And it's something that should be discussed within the board room about uh, what is the, how that's going to work and, and, and what makes that work. I think um, really position descriptions just help people understand what those expectations are and also gives them a very clear understanding of the commitment. So uh, a chair of a board is, a, is an enormous commitment to take on um, with the need to actually be the liaison with the CEO to actually um conduct the board in a, in a way that uh, everybody has um, or it feels as though they have good interaction and, um, and the ability to put their position forward. And at times, um, you know, it needs to, to bring order or, or to put a framework around how those decisions are made. So um, at some stage, you know, those, it, it's, it's having a great feel for the board and the room and, and that's really important for a chair, for example, and I think sometimes that's not necessarily understood by all as to how onerous a position like that can be. Indeed. I mean, we start off by talking about accountability, so how the board conducts its business. What policies or practices can a board put in place to assure its stakeholders transparently that the board is governing it effectively and in the best interests of the organisation? It really starts at the induction process, Kate, because um, if you're a new director coming in, you need to have a full understanding of what the policies and procedures are and how the board may operate. And that should be done in, in um, conjunction with 
uh, some members of the board as well. So you've got a multi-faceted uh, view of that. Um, most definitely the procedures around board charters, code of conducts, um, even down to uh, expectations of meeting timeframes in terms of how often, regularity, how long they will be. Um, are they conducted, you know, in this new world of lots of hybrid slash Zoom as opposed to in in um, person? What does that actually look like? Um, I think that all helps and, and explains to people exactly what their commitment is. Um, and those policies and procedures should be openly available to you if you're putting your hand up to become a director because it's um, no point finding out once you've been elected or appointed to a board that it's um, not going to work for you or you're able to commit that sort of time. So the transparency, uh, openly available policies and procedures and code of conduct is very important. And should those documentations be shared with the members of the organisation? In, in most part, yes. Um, certainly code of conducts and board charters should be um, available. Um, some of the internal workings of board policies around perhaps um, expectations, uh, like a, 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 there is, a, I think there's, a, there's still a place for a, an internal board document that helps um, stem out exactly what, um, you know, maybe around uh requirements and um, needs for directors to attend different events or whatever the whatever the board might be dealing with. I think that's more of an internal document, but everything else is certainly uh, should be widely spread. So let's talk about conflict of interest. Um, it's one of the, the key documents that creates accountability and transparency uh, for boards and for directors. What is a conflict of interest? And can you give us examples of some common conflicts of interest that you've come across in your time in sport? A conflict of interest is, uh, is um, something that somebody can gain, um, have a gain inside your personal capacity by having exposure or having information given to you that you may receive in your professional capacity and understanding um, that can be... Um, real and material or it can also be perceived so um, and this I think sport really struggles with some of this at, in, in the way that people come onto boards and they've all a lot have come from inside the sport and therefore um, they already have um, alliances or they come from a particular um, home base or whatever that might look like so that can often be um, drawn into that conflict of interest um, for me, in sport boards, I think some of the things are that when decisions are being made around um, perhaps particular associations or, or facilities that people may have um, an involvement in or have been involved in, um, and then there's this sort of business side of sport that can extend through to being a, a material conflict of interest. So if you have um, connections with a business that is a merchandise business or a uniform supply business or trophies or um, even down to running particular centres um, or having leases on things, all of those can be well and truly perceived and probably uh, are material conflicts of interest that need to be addressed inside the boardroom. So how should boards and directors uh, identify and ultimately manage these conflicts of interest? It should be a standing agenda item at the front of the, the front of the um, a, the board agenda, so that when, as a director, when you get your board pack, anything that you see inside of that 
board pack that may be perceived or a material conflict of interest, you raise that at the opening of the meeting. Um, this, of course, goes hand in glove with the fact that you would have a disclosure document that's filled in at the uh, when you're actually inducted and brought onto the board and any of those um, as part of your registration and um, compliance requirements of being a director are already called out in that. But there may be additional things that say it's an agenda item that has a real conflict of interest on just that particular board meeting. It needs to be called out at the top of that. The board can then decide as a group, is it, how do they want to deal with that conflict of interest? Um, and if it is that someone's um, asked to leave the room for that discussion or that decision, then that's that should be minuted and noted. Any any conflicts of interest need to be contained inside the minutes, so that there's again that transparency down the track. If a decision's made and you are conflicted in that, and you weren't part of the decision making, it needs to be well and truly documented that you had, uh, well, you didn't take any part of that, so that you've got that uh, transparency being reported. So you've just picked up there on the issue of minutes, um, the accuracy of minutes and why that's so important. Um, timely board minutes. One of the challenges that we quite often hear is that the board meeting happens, that that the minutes have been taken, but they're not distributed to directors in a timely fashion or directors receive them, but they don't review them in a timely fashion. What's your experience in terms of the effectiveness um, of board minute review in order to ensure accuracy and quality of, of minutes? I think um, the biggest thing for me is, is getting them um, done quickly and circulated to directors for viewing and um, because ultimately, again, it gets back to that um, accountability. As a director, you have a responsibility to review those minutes and to, to provide any um, corrections or seek any clarity or uh, even provide additional, if, if you want something that wasn't captured that you think should have been, you need to put that back to the whole board for discussion. Um, like Directors are usually very busy people, so um, you you need to keep um, the momentum of that up for that reason because um, if it goes for an uh, elongated period of time, then obviously you're relying on memory and um, all your notes, which uh, then need to come back. So, again, depending on the meeting cycle, um, it would be imperative to have minutes out within the week um, and for people to review those and then for corrections or uh, clarity to be sought by directors um, in, in that sort of time frame as well, not leaving it till you, perhaps your next board meeting, which might be six weeks away, and then asking, oh, by the way, you know, I really wanted to talk about this. And, so, and, and again, it can flow through to the agenda item that can be carried forward if you wanted more um, information on that as well. I think uh, from a, wearing a CEO hat, it's imperative that you get those minutes um, out to the, that they're distributed to the board and any comments are sought because they become your roadmap and, and uh, there's a lot of decisions and actions that need to be enacted, usually by your operational staff. So to be able to um, cut the relevant pieces out of the minutes and, and provide them um, as quickly as possible to ensure that those action items or decisions can be enacted um, as quickly as they need to be. And and that really links in, as you say, to the agenda. So how can a board ensure its agenda is structured to maximise the focus and priorities of the board in the meetings? 
For me, the biggest thing about being a director is um, is the strategic owning the strategy of the organisation, having the policies to support that, and and clearly the budget to support that as well. So those three pillars. Um, therefore, the agenda needs to be set in a way that it is strategically orientated to the board for um, whatever the decision making or discussions that need to happen. Um, and that needs to come forward at the at the front of the meeting so that it's fresh when people start. Again, I respect the fact that directors are really, the reason they're directors usually are they are busy people. So you need to give them that opportunity to have that fresh look at it at the start of the meeting. Um, one of the things I've found is really successful because you also want to provide a whole lot of reports and information to the board for that reason, for their information, is that um, at the back of the agenda, we use a block item type system where we put all the reports and things into that. And when the board packs distributed to the board, they can ask for any of those to come out of the block items and be discussed or further information given. So you're sort of providing um, almost uh, a reference guide with a whole lot of information there, but happy to bring it out into discussion if required. Otherwise, it is provided for that. And I think Respectfully, if you can balance the timeframes around that and make sure that the, the, the front end of the meeting is to, to, to tackle the bigger items and decision making, then that's really important too. Often boards meet into the evening. You know, you need to be respectful that people have already perhaps done a day, day's work in another role. So you want to make, make sure they're um, clear and have good, um, the good clarity to make those decisions. So we started off talking about board accountability and, and how that really related to the board doing uh, what it's required to do and, and what its members expect it to do. What tips can you give for communicating to stakeholders about the organisation's progress and achievements? This is important because you are representing those members and um, you're driving the progression of the organisation. So things like interactive presentations to if you've got a meeting structure that allows that to happen, to talk about some of the um, initiatives and, the, and um, I guess how the strategic plan's being progressed and what's been, um, what's been able to be undertaken to progress that. Metrics are really important, um, particularly to match up with the KPIs that are set around the strategic plan. Um, and I and I think um, for me, one of the biggest things is also about um, communicating if there's policy changes as quickly as possible. They may be published on websites, which is where they should be, and links there, so they can be kept very current. But if you don't advise people that they've been updated, they're not going to go look go looking for a new version. So um, all of that needs to be, um, all that communication is, is key, is a key part to keeping the information systems flowing uh, of what the board is undertaking and the organisation and how the organisation is growing and progressing through uh, as they, they tackle their strategic plan and head towards ultimately their, their goals and vision. Thank you, Clarilyn. And thank you for joining me on our Sport Oz podcast, Exploring Principle 6, The Playbook. If you would like to access a copy of the Sport Governance Principles, you will find them at the Sport Oz website, sportoz.gov.au forward slash governance. If you have any feedback or questions, please email us at sportsgovernance at ausport.gov.au. My name is Kate Corkery and I look forward to you joining me for the next podcast in the Sport Governance series.